to another edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. Today is June 15th, 2016, and, well, I don't say the broadcast numbers anymore. You all know the reason for that, because I'm absent-minded and sometimes get them reversed, and never mind. It doesn't make any difference. (laughs) Just keep in mind, today is June 15th, and, and hopefully, Lord willing, I'll get them in the right order. When they get re- when they get released, uh, today we have um, um, uh, a special broadcast um, being done by the by the podcast. Um, I'm talking with Dr. Alan Harmon. He is um, he's over in Australia, and this is um, interesting because not too many weeks ago, as you remember, I did an interview with Dr. Murray Capel. Uh, he was also in Australia, so um, so we're we're getting the down under contingent uh, involved in interviews and podcasts, and so. Um, looking forward to talking with him about his book that he wrote, um, Preparation for the Ministry, and we'll get to that in just a minute. Um, let me uh, quickly tell everybody what's going on uh, as far as the podcast, the seminary. Um, as you know, if you want to find out more information about Greenville Seminary, you can go to our website, gpts.edu. Um, of course, it's summer. Uh, at least it is in the United States. Uh, it's probably winter in Australia, but we'll get to that. Um, but it's summer, so classes are uh, not in session, and um, so it's a little quiet around the seminary. I'm in the transitional phase, graduated, now moving up to North Carolina to take a call at a church um, in, in Marion, North Carolina. So lots going on, um, but pay attention to our website, gpts.edu. Of course, you can go to our podcast website. It's confessingourhope.com. And for all those that listen all the time, you know all this stuff, and you've probably tuned me out. But uh, if you're new to the program, uh, I appreciate you listening. And if you have any questions, you can write me at confessingourhope at gpts.edu. Now, as I indicated, we're going to be talking with Dr. Alan Harmon. He is uh, he has written a book put out by the Banner of Truth, um, and it's titled Preparation for Ministry. And um, it's a, a very important subject, especially for those of you who may be considering going into the ministry or even going to seminary. And so uh, Dr. Harmon takes... Take, really carefully, practically takes, takes you through all the issues and questions you may have and, and so forth. So, Dr. Harmon, it's great to have you on the program and talk about this little book that Banner put out. And um, it, it's very helpful, and um, I'm thankful that you had the time today to talk with me. I'm glad to have the opportunity, Bill, and especially, too, that you had Murray Capel, my friend. Uh, yes. Uh, it was at the Reformed Theological College in Geelong, where I also taught in the 70s, so that uh, we, we live about uh, 20 kilometers apart. Oh, well, fantastic. Well, like I told the listeners, it it, it seems like this is the Australian month. In the last 30 days, I've done two Australians. So um, now, is it winter where you are? Yes, it is. This morning, uh, it's just uh, the daylight has just broken. It'll be about three or four degrees here at the moment. Is that Celsius? Uh, Yes, it is. And it will get up to about uh, 15 or 16 during the daytime. I don't know what that means. you know, we're in the United States. We're so confused. We're still on. We're still on the old system. Probably <laughs> get up into the low sixties. Gotcha. But then drop back very quickly at nighttime. Yep. Yep. Understood. Well, I have a daughter that lives in China, so I'm always doing time conversions. But I think you're you're what 22 hours ahead of me. That's right. <laughs> so you're on Thursday morning, and I haven't even got out of Wednesday yet. Yeah. So that's that's very good. Well, um, many of my listeners may not know too much about you, of course, um, being in Australia. So can you tell the listeners maybe your background um, and um, and that kind of thing? 
Yes, I'll be happy to. Great. I'm an Australian, uh, brought up on the north coast of New South Wales. That's about uh, 250 kilometers, oh no, 250 miles north of Sydney. Uh, my father was a Presbyterian pastor. Uh, I did uh, teacher training in Newcastle, then uh, attended the University of Sydney before going to Scotland to do my theological training uh, at the Free Church College and then the uh, and also the University of Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. From there, I went out to Westminster Seminary, and it was one of my very providential and, and fortunate things that I had all the older uh, professors. Uh, I had uh, Dr. Stonehouse, Dr. Van Til. Uh, Professor Murray, uh, all those that, that uh, had taught for so many years there. Uh, all our heroes. Yes, so, so that was, and I was very close to Professor Murray because uh, uh, in Scotland I had met him, actually preached uh, with him in the congregation when I was had finished one year in seminary, so that uh, no he came from the area where my mother was up in that home area and got to know him, and then uh, I worshipped with him every Sunday that year at uh, Knox OPC in Philadelphia, and uh, then I came back to Australia and uh, ministered in Geelong, and at that time Westminster had just introduced the doctoral program. Uh, so I went back, and again we had the very close contact with Murray, and then... Well, I got I got to ask you a question about Doctor uh, about about, um, yeah. about Professor Murray. He's one of my favorite um, guys to read. Um, I don't know why. I, I think he's he's readable. I mean, I I I'm not the smartest guy on the planet, and so he makes it very easy for me to understand. But I do have to ask a curious question. Yes. Did did he really smoke? Yeah. Did, did he smoke cigarettes? Because <laughs> everybody says that, but I just can't. It's hard for me to picture it. <laughs> but. I rem- that was a very different world. I remember on one occasion seeing him smoke a cigar. Oh, wow. But that's well, it. like a good Presbyterian. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I was just curious uh, about uh, that. Because- we, my wife and I, I was married by the to Westminster. He mm-hmm. moved off the seminary and only one block from where we lived in an apartment and quite often in the evening, about half past eight or nine, he'd come out for a walk and knock at our door, and and uh, he wanted to talk uh, about Scotland and the uh, the religious background of the Highlands. And of course, my wife is from that area, and I knew it well. And he found that he could relate to us in a way that he couldn't relate to other students at the seminary because we knew his background very well. Right. Then uh, from there, I uh, came back. No, I to uh, finish uh, a year of doctoral study and the chair of uh, Old Testament of the Free Church College became uh, vacant and I was appointed to it. So from 66 to 74, uh, I taught at the Free Church College in Edinburgh. Then I was invited to come back to Australia to the Reformed Theological College where Murray Capel is presently the president. And uh, then I came to Melbourne at the time of a church union, the uh, uh, the Presbyterian Church of Australia had agreed to go into union with the Methodists and most of the Congregationalists, but uh, quite a large section of the Presbyterian Church did not go in. And uh, I was asked to come and help restart theological training in Victoria uh, for that church. And so uh, I was connected with it from 1975 
uh, right through to my official full-time retirement in uh, mm -hmm. 2001. But since I have been, uh, I am now even still, uh, I will be back lecturing in the new semester starting on the 14th of July. Well, outstanding. And now, well, I, man, I, I feel very young. <laughs> you, you got your doctorate in the mid-60s? In the 60, 68. Well, I was a whole two years old. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, anyway, it, I'm glad you wrote this book. It's very important. Um, I see Dr. F uh, Sinclair Ferguson did a little... Um, deal on the back for you as well but the subject the subject matter of course I, I've been through the whole process now I'm on the other end of things and but I but I, I wish I'd had a book like this going into the whole process because I had a lot of questions and some people were helpful in answering but not you know it, it was difficult and um, and I know the seminary gives this out, this book out, to all of our new incoming students and prospective students at the seminary. So I don't know if you know that, but now you do. Um, and so we give this out to all them, all those students. And I just found that the book itself is just, it, it's timely, it's important, it's thought-provoking, it's very practical um, in nature. So I, I'm just curious, um, what prompted you to write this in the first place? Bill, a lot of the book, of course, is uh, material that I had in my mind and never written down. It uh, comes out of uh, conversations I've had with students, with uh, advice I've given them, because I've taught in Edinburgh, uh, I've taught here in Australia, uh, I taught for a year at Reformed Theological Seminary in Jackson, Mississippi. I spent the whole of 1993 there. Uh, I've taught in Korea. Uh, so that I've been in various different settings and talked with students. My good friend, uh, Reverend Liam Murray, the Banner of Truth, was speaking to me two or three years ago, and he suggested I should do something, and I thought it was just going to be a very brief little brochure, and uh, it developed a bit further from that. And uh, so what's there in the book is uh, uh, a combination of what I think are, are biblical principles uh, combined with some practical advice. Uh, for example, uh, I give advice to an incoming student that he must, if he's married, he must consult with his wife because uh, uh, she didn't marry a, a theological student or a prospective pastor, and uh, she needs to be involved. Absolutely. Uh, injunction to do that, but uh, it's just an, an outcome of the of the basic principles of are you combined together as a couple in, in ministry? You have to be sure of that if you're going to go to uh, into service in that way. So it's a combination of a uh, lifetime of ministry. Uh, while I've taught for most of my life in seminaries, I have always been involved in ministry at the That is, I've been preaching, I've been looking after congregations without pastors, I've been uh, an interim pastor in them, and this sort of thing. So my life has been a combination of uh, two things, and I never set out to be an academic, I set out to be a pastor. And so I've, I've kept that uh, past uh, impulse there all along. And so the, the book is an outcome of many of these things that I've been working with students for so long. I'm glad to hear you say that about the whole academic versus pastor thing. It's not that there's necessarily a dichotomy there, but <clears throat> I think the church needs pastors and, and, and not so much you know, more degrees, more degrees, more brains, more intelligence, but not that we want dummies doing it, of course, but 
we want pastors who are going to faithfully shepherd God's people. And um, that's why I like the book, because it's so practical. It's just, it speaks to my heart. It speaks to the issues at hand, and it doesn't get lost in a lot of things that probably wouldn't be very helpful in the long run. What You know, what's interesting as I was going through the book, um, you, you give two pages in the very beginning of the book to, and I've read other books on on the call to the ministry. I think um, Clowney's uh, book, Edmund Clowney's book, was one of the first books that was given to me by an OPC ruling elder, uh, Kingsley Elder, who you may know. Um, um, anyway, um, but you have this chapter right right up in the beginning. And, you, you, you know, I, I looked at it and I thought to myself, well, isn't that kind of obvious? Like, if you think you're called to the ministry, you, don't, you, you probably need to be a Christian. Yes. Uh, I, uh, I think that's so important and it's been missed so often. I, right. I have to ask myself, uh, why do so many uh, pastors drop out of the ministry? And one of the, one of the answers that I have to give to it is that they were not converted in the first place. That is that they, they entered into ministry without being sure of a relationship with the Lord. And uh, it's not surprising that they, uh, they don't continue in it because they should not have been there in the first place. Yeah, it's 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 as I've heard many times over the last four years. It's not for the faint faint of heart, and you know if you're not converted, if you don't have that thriving relationship with Christ to carry you through the very difficult times, which will inevitably come. Um, I don't know how you do it. I mean, it's it's not like any other job um, that's out there. Um, no, it's but then you, it's quite different from that. And uh, I will when I was uh, working at the seminary still. Uh, I'd have students come, and my, one of my first questions was, uh, tell me how you came to know the Lord. But then the second one was, tell me about your ongoing spiritual life and your relationship mm. with him. I want to know those, those things too. Yeah. Now, so, now so the, the, the second chapter deals with the call to the ministry, of course. And it, it's already intimated a little bit it's not like any other job. It's a calling. And, and maybe tell the listeners, how is it different? We use the word called to the ministry. We don't, we don't use the term um, hired to be the pastor. <laughs> no, that's right. We, we're not hiring a, a manager or a, a CEO of a business to run it. Uh, it's a, a calling or the, the English word from Latin, of course, is vocation, which just means exactly the same thing as, as call. We believe that God has to put uh, within the, the heart and the mind of a man that uh, he has the gifts and the abilities and uh, there is a mission uh, for him and that has to be impressed upon his heart and mind but it also has to be confirmed externally. Mm -hmm. uh, very often when, again, to come back to questions, I would ask students, I would say, all right, you belong to that particular uh, fellowship of God's people. Uh, tell me what you do in service of them. And if they say, well, look, I'm, no, I'm not teaching Bible class or I'm not doing this, and I'd go on to say, well, who has, who has failed there? Is it that you don't have the gift or is it the eldership of the congregation haven't seen that you have those gifts? Uh, wouldn't it be good to go back and talk with the elders and say, look, uh, God has put this desire in my heart. Can you give me the opportunity to test that call uh, within the local fellowship? And uh, see then, can they provide opportunities for you to serve and uh, to take part and to test whether you really have the ability and the gifts to go ahead with 
uh, what has God, what God has impressed upon you. Mm-hmm. Now, is it? Can you outline um, that for us? You know, the internal element of the call. Like I, I remember, I can I'm, speak for myself. I, it was <laughs> seems like a long time ago. It was twenty some odd years ago where I felt like. I'd like to be in the ministry. I'd like to be preaching the gospel. I'd like to care for God's people. Um, but God never really opened any avenues for that to happen. I had teaching opportunities here and there in the church, but nothing really unfolded. And then all of a sudden, everything started to go, all the lights went green, and everything started to move pretty quickly forward. But um, So there's the internal sense where you have a desire to do these things. But can you like highlight the external elements and what, what's involved in that? Because it, it's, it's certainly possible for a person to think they're called when they're really not. Yes, uh, I think that's absolutely true. Uh, I've had experiences of that. Uh, I remember probably early in my days in teaching uh, in Scotland, uh, I was the youngest of the professors, and I remember saying to my colleagues, uh, when are we going to tell a particular student that he hasn't got the gifts for the ministry and uh, he should discontinue his study at this stage? And they all reacted against that by saying, well, the local congregation and the press all supported him. But I said, it's quite evident that uh, he's lacking. Uh, I went to that student uh, towards the end of the academic year and I spoke to him and uh, told him my concerns. Took umbrage at me. Uh, but then a few days later, he came and said he would take my advice. Two years later, I got a delightful letter from him. Uh, thanking me for the advice that it was perfectly correct. He had gone back to his former job, was very active in his local congregation, and realized then that he did not have the gifts for public teaching, and that he was fulfilling a very useful ministry in the local congregation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that uh, that happens quite a bit. Uh, we, we have two systems here. We, we, at our seminaries, we accept students who are not official candidates, but... Within our denomination, the Presbyterian Church of Victoria, uh, a student must come from his local eldership uh, with recommendation. He's interviewed by the local presbytery, and also he's interviewed by a theological education committee of the denomination. So we have uh, three interviews there, and that, that is very helpful. And then the student is under the care of the presbytery while he is in seminary, and uh, I belong to the local Geelong Presbytery, and we would expect to see our students uh, at least twice in person and be uh, questioned by uh, the Presbytery regarding their progress and, and so on. So we take care of them in that way and keep uh, their gifts and callings. Uh, some, some may have particular, uh, for example, some may, some with a, a service background, a defence background, may come to me and say, look, uh, I'm considering offering myself for Defence Force Chaplaincy. Is there anything I should do at this stage? And we would always say, uh, have some years in in pastoral experience before you you decide to move into that direction. Uh, You need to test your calling there. You need to develop your gifts and skills. And you may at a later stage wish to come back into pastoral ministry. And therefore, it is good to have that background behind you. So all other students may say... I feel God is calling me to a mission situation overseas. And again, we would, we would uh, say the same thing. Uh, sure. At least have a year or two working in a congregation or under another pastor in preparation for that. 
I, I've because of my age, I, I tip my hand, and most of the listeners know I'm 50. Um, but I've had conversations with some of the younger students um, here at Greenville from time to time about this very subject, the call to the ministry, and and I'm I, I don't think I'm unusual, and I uh, from other guys that go to seminary that they go and they're, they're fairly confident they've they've, set, they've they've done all the things that you've talked about they've. They've been interviewed by their sessions. They've had opportunities to to, to exercise their uh, to have their gifts tested in front of the God's people. Um, but I know when I went to seminary, even after I got there, first couple of years, I wrestled with the call in general. I mean, I had good days, I had bad days, I I went back and forth, um, and it, 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 it was somewhat nerve wracking at times. But um, in a sense, I'm kind of glad. What do you think of? A person they go to. Do you think a person who goes to seminary should be absolutely convinced before they go that they're called? No, I don't. Uh, I will often say to uh, students, it's going to be, or prospective students, the course of the seminary is going to be very taxing on you. Mm-hmm. So before you uh, go full time, if there's a an evening course that you can attend. Uh, go to that, enroll, see how you uh, develop your gifts of study and uh, your application to it uh, before you enroll full-time. Also, for some people, the time at seminary is, is the time of testing that call. Uh, if they can spend the time uh, studying God's Word uh, intensively, they'd be with other uh, Christians who are doing the same thing. That may also be a way of testing it, and some at the end of the course say, look, I, I go back far better equipped now to my local uh, church, but I realize now that I'm not going to, to be a full-time pastor in, uh, in God's church. Hmm. I, have a, I have a dear friend who is a retired minister um, in the PCA, that's Presbyterian Church in America, as you probably know, um, and he, um, he has often told me and um, that you're, you're not really called to the ministry until you're called to the ministry. Now, now what he means by that is that in, if a church never calls you to be their pastor, then you were never called to be a pastor in the first place. Yes. How, how, would, how would you answer that? Would you agree with that in general? or? Yes, I, I would agree with that. If, if, if uh, someone finishes a seminary course uh, and there is never a call, uh, then I'd have to say other people have recognized that there are uh, things lacking in that uh, candidate and uh, therefore they were not prepared to, uh, to call him as a pastor. So in Scotland, they used to be called uh, sticket ministers. <laughs> they, <laughs> they, they got to a point, they finished all their theological study, either they were very poor preachers or there were other uh, uh, things lacking in their personality, and they never received a call. They, they remained probationers, they remained, remained licentious for the rest of their life. It's not happening so much now, but uh, it did happen in, in the past. So yes, there are those who who are in that situation. Yeah. So let, let's assume, for the sake of discussion, a man and and this, I'm really just following your table of contents in the discussion. But let's assume a man says, okay, you know, I I think the Lord's leading me down this road. Um, I've talked with my elders; they agree, which I I do, and I think you stress this in the book, and I think it's very very important. Men don't run off the seminary unless your elders think you should go. Really. Um, that's just Bill Hill, two cents from me. Uh, take it for what it's worth. But um, 
And it definitely don't go to seminary if your elders say you shouldn't go. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, but let's let's just let's assume that they do that, and and the elders say, yeah, we want you to do this, and we think you should do this. Um, how can a young man prepare himself even before he begins classes? I suggest in the book uh, at the end of it that some preliminary reading. Uh, mm-hmm. Things that you can start to uh, to examine the uh, the content of things that you can start to think over what you're going to be studying at the at the years uh, can prepare yourself in various ways for uh, going into seminary. Uh, even uh, I often watch now with people with computers, but yet they don't touch type. And I say, look, you're going to be in ministry. You're going to be taking notes in seminary. Uh, Learn some of the skills early on, just that you can quickly uh, make good progress or start on the languages, because I believe the the languages are important. I don't understand the Bible without Greek and Hebrew, but I compare it to uh, the difference between watching black and white and color television. You're looking at exactly the same information, but yet it's different. Uh, Television is far better. It's, it's got a, a reality to life. It's a, if you're studying the scriptures with, the, with some knowledge of Greek and Hebrew, it should bring that extra element into your understanding that you can convey in your teaching and preaching ministry. You know, it's funny you say that because I use that exact illustration, <laughs> the one you just gave with the TV, black and white and color. I use that with the congregation here that I've been blessed to, pastor now for two weeks. <laughs> um, but um, I tell, they ask me that. They'll ask me, you know, is, do I need to know Greek and Hebrew to, to understand God's Word? And I said, no, no. Uh, you can read the English translations. It's, they're very good. You, you know, just read it. You, you don't have to go to seminary and take Greek and Hebrew. Um, and then I use that illustration you just used. So maybe, you're, maybe you are where I got it from originally, but I've been using that illustration for years with people. And um, so that's funny that you said that. But that's great advice, though. I think one of the, the difficulties I had when I went to seminary, and I think part of it was my age, um, was um, Greek and Hebrew. The, the Greek vocabulary was not as difficult. Hebrew vocab was a nightmare. Um, I had to come up with all kinds of ingenuitive ways to, to memorize Hebrew vocab. Um, but I think that's great advice. I mean, just take your summer before you go to seminary and spend time working through a basic Greek grammar and v- basic Greek vocab and basic Hebrew vocab because you're going to see it all again anyway. Can I so, follow that up with two comments? Uh, sure. One is that I have always said to students, do not betray from the pulpit your knowledge of Greek and Hebrew. That is, uh, don't try and say to your congregation, uh, look, uh, I think the Hebrew, uh, this is what the Hebrew says or this is a uh, you can do it in other ways. You can uh, someone in the congregation who also knows the languages will realise what you're doing. But the other people shouldn't be uh, put down. They shouldn't feel inferior. Uh, right. Therefore, you have to be careful. The second thing is uh, with translations. All of us will come to a point where uh, the particular translation that we're using, there may be uh, a passage where we want to differ with it, but we do not want to convey the idea to congregations that we are uh, critical, we, we, we don't take away their trust 
in that word of God that they're, they're using normally. So we just have to watch it. In, I would sometimes say uh, another way to put this would be, and then I will just give a slightly different translation. Uh, for the well, that's, that's that, that is very wise advice, and I'm going to heed that myself. I think I've committed that error more than once, and um, th that is very pastoral advice, good pastoral advice. Um, we're, you know, at Greenville, we're, we're, we're often told by Dr. Piper and our Greek and Hebrew professors, you know, d don't get up there and, and, and preach a Greek sermon. You're not giving a Greek lesson from the pulpit. You're not giving a Hebrew lesson from the pulpit. It should come out in your exposition, um, but you don't have to wow people with your Greek and Hebrew knowledge. You know, they know you studied it. Yes, sir. And I think that's fantastic advice, especially what you just said about the you know, don't downplay like I, I use the ESV in the pulpit, but not everybody sitting in the pews is using the ESV. And so don't say, well, the New King James translates this word this way. And it, that's just terrible. See, doing that, you, 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 you cause the person to lose faith in what they're confidence in what they're reading. If someone has been converted using a translation that I don't think is the best one, I will take the opportunity, perhaps at a Bible sure. study or afterwards, to say, look, uh, uh, you may find uh, when we come to uh, precise words and phrases, and I will try gradually to introduce them to one of the other versions, but I, yeah. I don't want to knock the, the Bible that was used uh, uh, by God as the means of their conversion. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's fantastic advice, and I'm, I really appreciate you saying that. Uh, picking, a, picking a seminary. Now, just understand our listeners um, on this podcast, I mean, I'm Presbyterian, you're pre and, and so and, and a lot of them are, but we have a, a wide variety of people that listen to the program, and so this may vary a little bit within um, different denominational circles, but in general, uh, which, how, should a, how should a prospective student go about the process of choosing a seminary? I've made some suggestions in the, in the book. Uh, yep. Some of us, of course, come from a particular denominational stance. But uh, I suggest in the book that uh, if there is any doubt in your mind regarding your future service in that denomination, uh, you should think carefully. Uh, mm. so for example, there are, common, there are denominations that have a lot of uh, evangelical and even reformed people in them, but are more mixed. Uh, you have to stop and say, am I going to spend my life uh, serving in that denomination? Am I happy with that? Uh, what we find in Australia is that we will... Um, the seminary I myself taught at, we would often have uh, uh, Baptists, especially Reformed Baptist uh, students come to us. Uh, we always said to them, we are glad to have you here. Uh, you'll understand that we are teaching from the position of uh, the Westminster Confession. Uh, we will not uh, aim our, our teaching in any way at you um, in regard to your Baptist views. They will often maintain those views and then uh, attempt to go into a Baptist denomination and they will often have to go and do another year years in a Baptist seminary. Now, uh, that seminary is often different in its stance from ours. Mm -hmm. Make that choice. Are they going to go and, uh, I'd say, put up with uh, that teaching for that time if they want to serve in that, uh, that, uh, that particular fellowship of, of, of believers. So we let me ask you let me ask you a question on, on that line um, it, because it's an interesting point you're making here and and but here in the United States we have a no, 
we have seminaries that aren't necessarily connected uh, directly to a particular denomination, like I use Greenville. Um, um, we're not PCA, we're not OPC, um, we're not ARP, we're not any of those necessarily. I mean, we, we teach to Westminster Standards without apology. It was one of the big reasons why I went to Greenville. Um, confessional integrity, uh, detail and, and, and attention and instruction in, in the preaching God's word as, as the central focus in worship other than the glory of God. But, but, I mean, what do you do with a student who says, okay, you know, I'm, I could go to, like, Westminster. You went to Westminster. They, they were kind of aligned with the OPC, but not officially in, in any way. Um, how do you deal with that as, you know, in, from an independent seminary perspective? Uh, I have been, if you understand my question, yeah, I'm sorry. I understand it quite well because uh, uh, I myself, a uh, double graduate of taught at the uh, RTS, uh, I realized that in the PCA, the only official seminary is Covenant uh, because of a historical happening. That is that the uh, Covenant yes. is linked with the Bible Presbyterian Church and because it, it came into the it brought the seminary and also Covenant College with it. Uh, yeah. So that, that's the reason why there is, why Covenant has its own particular relationship. Yes, we uh, Reformed Theological College in Geelong, where I taught, and where Murray Cable teaches, uh, would be uh, similar. Uh, that is not officially aligned with with a denomination, uh, though having close links with the Christian Reformed Churches of Australia. Yeah. I think when you when you look at that, you have to say, right, first of all, uh, what is the doctrinal stance uh, of the seminary? Uh, secondly, uh, is it an academic institution only, or is it staffed by people who have had pastoral experience and who are going to train uh, for ministry in a similar way? And uh, I think that you have to say, uh, coming from a reform position, uh, does that seminary stand for the truths of the gospel and of the reformation that I hold to, that I'm going to be built up and uh, nourished in my life there? There is nothing worse than a student having to contend in student days uh, with teachers who are coming from a different perspective. That is not good education in itself. Uh, it shouldn't happen. You should be, uh, there should be a closer fit between the teaching staff and the students in regard to their theological commitment. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you're right. I think with Green, you know, with Greenville especially, that, you know, that's... Um, that that second that latter element that you just presented about uh, it's staffed by professors who uh, know their field number one and but they've also been pastors they've been they've labored in the church um, and so there's that they, they got both and work in there and it's very helpful for the students because you, you don't just get you know you get a ton of academics rammed down your rammed into your head which is which is fine but it's also married up very nicely with the pastoral outlook and the practical theology and Christian and piety and everything else so um, one of the reasons why I love Greenville so um, yeah I mean I just think that in today's day and age we have more independent seminaries than we do closely connected especially in the U.S. Um, yes, I think yeah. the ARP has Erskine and the PCA has Covenant, and I, th I, don't th I think that's, that's yeah. pretty much it. Yeah. Yeah. I can't think of any, any other official. Oh, um, yeah. the RPCNA has their um, Reformed, Theolo or, um, Reformed Seminary in Pittsburgh okay. um, as well. So, um, but, yeah, that's a very good point, and, um, and, and, and 
should help guide a person as far as they're making their decisions as to where they're going to go to seminary. Now, you you get into the theological course, and this is right in the middle of the book. Um, it starts on page 23. And for the listener's sake, um, the book we're talking about is not very long. It's 117 pages. If you include the introduction and the preface and acknowledgments, it's 117 pages, give or take. So, um, But we're talking right in the middle of the book now, um, Dr. Harmon, about the theological course. And what is your aim there to help with the, the prospective student and the, the, the man who thinks he's called? Uh, I say to the students, as I start uh, each course, each semester, I say, uh, uh, my aim is that you're going to enjoy and get blessing out of this course, and uh, the, the grade that you get is not the important thing. It's uh, how you have deepened your knowledge of God's Word or of uh, uh, Christian theology or church history or whatever uh, we've been studying. Uh, we're going to work together, uh, we're going to, to grow in the Lord, and this is this is not just an intellectual exercise, it's a spiritual one as well, that we have to be blessed ourselves as we work together. Uh, sometimes, uh, even when it came to uh, teaching Hebrew, I used to like to get the students to sing in Hebrew at the, at the end of the class. Uh, oh, I had the modern... I'm glad, you, I'm glad you weren't my Hebrew professor, that would have been horrible. <laughs> I... The, I <laughs> I used to get I used to get nervous when Dr. Shaw, our Hebrew Old Testament professor, would call on me in class and ask me to read the Hebrew. Uh, it always sounded better in my head. When it came out of my mouth, it sounded really horrible. <laughs> so <laughs> I can't imagine singing it. Oh, you can, uh, I started them with the very simple ones like "He is Lord" and uh, uh, some of those ones, and then I had the modern Israeli uh, Hebrew hymn book from the, that they used in the Hebrew speaking. Israel, and I would pick a, a hymn that we know in English uh, so that they didn't have to learn the new tune. Um, I know not why God's wondrous grace or uh, the God of Abram praise, which is actually set to a, a Hebrew uh, melody, and uh, mm -hmm. we, we would sing together, and uh, I would find them humming away at these tunes, and it, it just breaks up the, uh, the learning process, and it helps to reinforce the point that Hebrew was still a living language, and uh, it, it helps students to, to realize that it has uh, continued right through the ages. It, Hebrew was never a dead language. There were still uh, rabbis and others who were speaking it. And, of course, the modern Hebrew has uh, changed because it's borrowed so much from European languages. And um, But it's got a lot of the basic things of the biblical text. When I've been in Israel, uh, if I've forgotten the modern Hebrew word, I would use the biblical one and uh, people may smile a little bit, but uh, they can understand it. Yeah, that's well. Like I said, I'm. <laughs> I don't know. I'd be. I'd be so nervous. Well, at least everybody in the room would be singing at the same time, so we'd all sound silly together. Um, but at the point, uh, I'm going back a semester to teach and Thessalonians, and I'm going to say to the students, we will end each morning of three hours some hymn or song that's appropriate to the, the passage that we're doing. And, of course, in Philippians, you've got that uh, great passage in uh, chapter 2 regarding uh, the humiliation of Christ who humbled himself to death or through the great passage on Christian sanctification that uh, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And it's, it's lovely to be able to respond in song uh, to, uh, to the teaching of God's word. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to encourage the students. I'm going to let the, the first week I will pick the hymn, uh, but then I, I will ask them to week by week to pick something that we'll sing at the end, uh, just to uh, join in worship together and response to to God's word. Sure. What kind of response have you had to the book? Uh, I've been utterly surprised by it. Uh, yes. Those of us who write books often find that we never hear uh, from people. Though I must say, I had a, a lovely experience recently. I published on Deuteronomy probably 10 or 12 years ago. And uh, a man wrote to me, a pastor, saying that he was preparing to go overseas to give some, uh, uh, some talks. Uh, he had uh, 11 commentaries. Uh, on Deuteronomy, and uh, mine he favoured because I never interacted with other uh, other writers. That is, I tried to sit down with the Hebrew text and say, this is what I believe that, that text is really saying. And, uh, and I've done that in all my writing, but it's, it's rare to find people communicate. But with this book, uh, I've been utterly surprised at the response that it seems to have just met a particular need, and uh, it has been being used very widely. It's already been reprinted by the Banner of Truth, which... Uh, which oh, really? Yes. So after about... Uh, I, I joke with my wife and I say my commentaries perhaps are reprinted after six or seven years, but uh, preparation for ministry was reprinted six months after it appeared. I was, I was just looking at the copyright, 2015, and this is June 2016, and it's going into its second printing already. That's fantastic. Well, I, I, I found the book to be very, as I said in the beginning, it's, 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 it's practical, it's, it's straightforward, it, it comes from a man who's been doing this for a while, and, um, and, and so I would encourage those of you out there who are considering the ministry to get your hands on this, Preparation for Ministry, Dr. Alan Harmon, but I also would suggest this, too. You ruling elders and teaching elders that have the responsibility of perhaps finding one or two young men in your congregation that think they're called to the ministry, you read the book too, and then take them through this, and and work through this with them, um, because they may find out you know what I'm not really called to this, or they may say yes this this strong this this further encourages me to continue down that road, um, because it, as I said it's extremely practical it has a whole a number of helps in it, including a whole section in the back of the book on, um, I'm trying to get to it. I'm not flipping to it fast enough. There it is. Um, in the appendix, there's a whole section on suggested preparatory reading and it's broken down by various loci of theology. And so, um, it it is really worth the time and it's, it's not that expensive. And, and, you know, the amazing thing is, is that for listeners to the confessingourhope.com or Confessing a Hope podcast, if you if you send a question in for Faith and Practice with Dr. Piper, you can get $10 off a purchase at Banner, and you could buy the book for almost for nothing. So there you go. <laughs> what a way to get the book out there. Um, so um, it, as I said, it's a very practical book, and, and Dr. Harmon, I, I really am thankful that you wrote it. Uh, one, I wish he had written it about, about five years ago, <laughs> but that's okay. Um, and um, but I hope the Lord uses it for other, with other young men who are thinking about this. Um, as we've talked about, it's not a it's not a job. I mean, it, it's work, but it's not a job. Um, it's it's a calling. It you you don't ever punch out. Um, you're never off the clock. Um, 
and so it, it it's it it's 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 rewarding work but it's difficult work and and, and so you mentioned the appendices i am very grateful that the banner i yep. had put those there i had referred to warfield's uh, discussion in my uh, earlier and i'm glad that they reprinted it i also had that uh, short section on a minister's self watch and to add that uh, part from Spurgeon was good. So I think the additions that they made there uh, really really helped the book as a whole. And uh, I'm grateful to the banner for the way in which they put it out. Yeah, the, the Warfield article, uh, the, the well, article, um, I think he actually lectured this. Um, it, the Religious Life of Theological Students is, is fantastic okay. material. So, um, but yeah, anyway, so Dr. Harbin, I, I, again, I, I'm thankful for you your labors and work and, and, um, and for putting this out. And I trust the Lord will use it, um, with young men, um, who are thinking about this. It's a serious business. Um, and so, um, any help we can get, they can get, um, to make these kinds of decisions is, is important. But again, I, I, I don't want to just put this in the, in the, in the lap of students or potential students, you know, elders and teaching elders, ruling elders, you guys should read this book too it's inevitable a man's going to come to you eventually and say, you know, I think I'm called to the ministry. Uh, yeah, so what would you tell them? I've been using the, the book in that way myself, uh, Bill. I've been giving it away to some within my local fellowship. Uh, Fantastic. We have been greatly blessed. We have six young men from our own congregation in Geelong West uh, who are studying at the Presbyterian Theological College in Melbourne at the present time. And uh, Next week when I go to or uh, two weeks' time when I go to lecture, I'm going to find that I've got, I think, five of those students from my own congregation in the class that I'm, I'm teaching, which is going to be a blessing. But it's, uh, it's been lovely to talk with you. And uh, I Yes, my, sir. Thank you. I send my greetings to the, um, the staff and students at Greenville, uh, in particular to Dr. Piper. I remember my wife and I had a lovely time with himself and his wife in California uh, just over 20 years ago. We, we met there. And uh, so I followed uh, uh, his uh, his move to Greenville and uh, the the work that you were doing there at the seventy. May God bless you. Yes, sir. Thank you for for being on. If you could just hold on the line just a second, let me just wrap things up here. Um, you've been listening to a discussion with Dr. Alan Harmon. He he's written a book put out by the Banner of Truth, uh, Preparation for Ministry. Um, as I mentioned during the program, if if you're interested in this book and you don't want to pay for it, as it were. <laughs> Um, you can write a question in uh, every month. Dr. Piper sits down and answers questions from listeners. You can write any question you want. I got a question today. I won't read it on the air, uh, but I got a question today that I wrote to Dr. Piper and I said, it has to be the most imaginative question I've had. We've had to date and we've done 27 months of this program with him. And it was the most imaginative question um, I've ever read from a listener. It was, it's imaginative. You just have to stay tuned to next month to hear what the question was. But if you write in a question uh, using the confessingourhope.com website um, and we use your question on the air, we will send you a, a discount code for the banner of truth, $10 off any purchase. I mean, it's like free book money. Uh, I wish someone would have done that for me years ago. I would have saved myself a lot of money. But um, So send your questions in, and, uh, and Dr. Piper, Lord willing, will deal with those on the air. So until next time, um, what's coming up on the program, I never know. So go to the website, confessingyourhope.com, 
And that's where you'll find that information. So until next time, we do thank you for listening to this particular edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. And God bless.